Hey, I'm Maria. I work at a labor union by day and write and watch too much TV by night. I like to say I've been firmly in the CW's clutches since it was the WB. As the great Seth Cohen on the OC once said about the fictional teen drama, The Valley, TV teen dramas are mind-numbing escapism. They exist in a fantasy world where 20-something hot actors are usually cosplaying high schoolers in melodramatic depictions of adolescents. But that's honestly why I love teen dramas so much. I love the tropes and the shifts and the not-at-all-subtle product placement. I love the early aughts theme songs and the cameo performances by pop-punk bands. I love the newer generation of shows that are more diverse and representative of the vastness of teenage girldom. And I especially love the moments when TV teen dramas get political. You guys, we can organize, stand together, speak with one voice. Karl Marx has come alive for me today. Now it just seems so obviously wrong that those who control capital should make their fortunes off the labor of the working class. Well, since you've fired us, you've given us plenty of time to kick in. Workers of the world unite profit chains! Welcome to another episode of Leftist Teen Drama, and today I'm joined once again by the lovely Dandre and Liv, and this episode topic was actually Dandre's idea, so credit where credit is due. Hey everyone, it's Dandre, you know, again, Maria's friend since 2006, <laughs> middle school, high school and college, that first one, that's all. Hi everyone, I'm Liv, I'm currently eating a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> I've known these hooligans since 2012. Oh my god. Oh, almost 10 years. I know. Time goes by quickly. When you're living through a depression, recession, pandemic, etc., etc. 2021 now. Still bad. Today we're going to be talking about two, I would say, beloved teen drama characters. And they're both like, you know, main characters. And they definitely act like main characters. You know what I'm saying? and um they're both teens based in crenshaw which i think like i didn't realize when you first pitched the idea to me that they were both in crenshaw and then i started like watching and they are and i think that's amazing yeah yeah. like separated by like 20 years you know casually so we're talking about moesha mitchell from moesha and spencer james from all american and both of them are plunged into richer and whiter spaces at different schools for a so-called like opportunity and it's really interesting to talk about these two arcs that are really similar, but they're like 20 years apart. It's, you know, sort of that whole nothing ever changes in the fucking U.S. It's just like racism just takes on new forms. Yeah, it's just like a last for generational tradition. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty grim. But at the same time, both of these shows have so much heart, you know? So we're going to we're going to talk about how these two characters are both like pulled between two worlds and trying to merge them. And even though they're like very socioeconomically different and all against the backdrop of gentrification, which, you know, is, I guess, the issue of our time. So I guess just to start, I wanted to like talk about our relationships to the shows because I thoroughly believe that's an important part of this podcast because I think that teen dramas are like the kind of like no one's watching this shit for like, you know, the prestige. We're all watching this to get emotional out of it. 
and so i had like not seen really maybe peripherally once or twice had well you know caught moesha growing up but like i didn't really watch it and i don't know if that i think that there's actually a lot of things we're going to talk about in this podcast about who it was being marketed to um, that might have been part of it I, I wasn't really marketed it but like it was just like cultural awareness i guess just because i think brandy was just so like she was like a crossover effect but she was still pretty like predominantly in the black community so like even if i didn't like have episodes of the show i think her cultural impact with the braids and you know like i think it was just passed down or the awareness of it was just passed down in that sense for me at least yeah i didn't necessarily grow up watching moesha but i do remember like when it was over there were reruns mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't watch it while it was on the air um i actually think i was probably too young to really grasp yeah, we it it's like just before and, time. Yeah, and that there is something to be said about who it was marketed to because I mean I grew up with white people. So like I was watching the show and like I remember people not ever of hearing of it. Even when it came to Netflix, a few of my friends who aren't white, but you know, they're of color, they had never watched it either. They might have heard the name and like very barely knew who Brandy was, which is so ridiculous to me. But like Cinderella. Um, Come on. Cinderella and like, yeah, like iconic. Cinderella, like I don't know, just everything about Brandy is iconic. There's only Great. one Brandy. But yeah, no, I mean and I love the show it's it's on my list of shows to fall asleep to it's very comforting yeah i've definitely fallen asleep on the couch in front of it a lot no i love <laughs> um, it and, like, the, the transition songs are so like if you're high they're just like doo -doo -doo. they're just very yeah. chill it's a very like cozy show i woke up the other night to he's a player oh my god the songs are the best part oh, so good the best part. oh my god i feel like tv sitcom they don't have like genuine talent like being used in like multiple ways like that like the songs are actually like decently good you know oh yeah one of my favorite things about moesha though are the ridiculous transitions between scenes <laughs> but also you know it's interesting living in los angeles now and like it's nice to be able to see like that ridiculous like moment in time and like like oh like wow like that's actually out here and that was actually back then so i, I for that sense enjoy it yeah some of them just make no sense though i mean on all of it i love all of it but it's it's pretty funny some of the pretty politics beautiful. are so 90s in like such a cringe way that i'm just like this is like a cultural artifact like, i mean the black republican like the black republican <laughs> the bill clinton era like oh my god oh my god i feel like she still exists though and oh, yeah. so many people <laughs> Black Republican. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. I also feel like we grew up in a time where Republican like meant something different when we were born and like evolved by the time we were even like out of high school, you know? Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, like, or at least black people's relationship to being a Republican, because I feel like, especially once Obama hit, like, you didn't really, if you heard about that, it was like because they were like, trying to be subversive, you know? Like an Omarosa type or like, um, mm -hmm. I don't know. It, it was just interesting to see, like, you know, Republican is like for black people is like recently taboo because it was just the 90s that it could be her dad, you know? Yeah. Very interesting. Was her dad a Republican? Moesha's dad? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even William from Girlfriend. A lot of like. I knew William. Sure. I mean, he's like a oh, yeah, business yeah, owner. Moesha's dad. Uh, yeah. Oh. He very much drinks the Kool Aid. You know, yeah, and he's sexist as fuck, which is actually very relevant to the plotline that we're talking about tonight. Exactly. Have you ever seen that meme? I, it's some rapper, but he's going whore, 
whore, whore. <laughs> and then yeah, there's like, oh, oh, so dad every time she comes down the stairs. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so glad. I'll find it. I'm so, so glad. funny. Whore. <laughs> so true, though. It's like mad. It it's like, why are you looking at your teenage daughter like that? Like, you need anyway. <laughs> the episode where she gets the tattoo on her stomach too. I'm like, there was never any follow up on that tattoo either. I feel like we never saw it again. <laughs> See, that's what's great about like you know the like more sitcom half of the genre is that like they don't have to like deal with that continuity. Yeah. Like, what do you expect from a like 45 minutes? Yeah. But yeah, so for me, this has been my first like watch through. I've definitely like, you know, had some episodes I paid attention to more than others, if you will. But I have been watching every episode in case there's a snippet of, you know, leftist teen drama magic in something. <laughs> but I'm in season four now. We're going to mostly be talking about season three since that's obviously the season when she went to Bridgewood. But I am in season four and having a great time. The episode where she met Brandy was ridiculous. <laughs> and I loved it so much. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the chance. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> So good. So yeah, so then like let's talk about All American. So like literally 20 years later, I think it aired in 2018 first. So like, woo, literally Brandy. 20 years later, like damn. And so Dondre was the first one who texted me and was like, yo, you, you gotta watch All American. And I was like, all right, I'm pretty sure season one had just come on like Netflix, because it's a CW show. And I binged the whole thing and was like, yo, this shit isn't that good. And so I've been watching it ever since. Season three is currently airing. So I guess like by the time that this podcast drops, it'll be like probably between seasons three and four but yeah what have your guys's like relationships to all american been like what made you text me to watch it <laughs> i guess growing up in maplewood the experience of like proximity to people you know like the fact that it could literally be the most blackest person next to you and then the most jewish person on the other side like yeah. I just think that, like, All-American really, like, embodies the experience of, like, being on the, the bridge of two cultural experiences, you know? And um, I felt like this show was, like, the same as Moesha, but, like, it just kind of, like, extends the concept and kind of focuses on the, the bridge that, you know, a Black person like Spencer or Moesha is asked to kind of navigate in those situations. And I felt like it was the same thing that, like, you know, I had to navigate growing up, even in Maplewood, you know? And in college, and just everywhere. I feel like every Black person knows the experience of having to, like, in some space, be on the fence with, you know, just navigating two cultural sides. And so, I don't know, I thought it was a really cool way to that with a situation that was like familiar but still unique yeah definitely one of the things that struck me when i first watched it is i was like this is so much like the oc in that it's like that seminal mm -hmm. like show of like a teen being like thrust into that other culture but like it always made like no sense like i feel like it makes more sense for it to be a black kid you know than it ever did for it to be like right oh, in the oc which absolutely. was like yeah, even though I do remember there was a joke because I was recently rewatching the episode towards the beginning when they're still like not about to adopt Ryan or whatever, and like Sandy makes a joke that he's gonna bring a black kid home next, and I'm oh, like, shit. all American is basically <laughs> that. <laughs> yep. But yeah, Liv, how about you? Was this your first time watching it? You said. Yeah, it was my first time watching it. I had tried watching it when it first came out, but I was just so into Riverdale, I didn't want to watch anything else. Like I was not interested in any I miss other those teams times, ever. man. I know, I know. That's a whole other podcast. Sorry, B. But anyway, um, <laughs> so I think one of like to to speak to like the 
the culture within the show. What struck me was like the family that he's living with is like a biracial family. Yeah. And there were parts of it where I was like, I mean, and it's different. You know, I grew up with a single mom for all intents and purposes. I'm only child. But watching like this, this mixed family and their experiences in this all-white town were like kind of reminiscent of of growing up. And then I know we're eventually going to talk about the episode where Jordan, but like juxtaposition between him and his sister, even like just the way that you know black women are treated in comparison to their black counterparts. You know, I remember I went I went to high school with this mixed kid. He wasn't in my grade. He was a year older. But like the way his blackness was perceived was like so much cooler and like sexier than mine. Like their relationship and not really getting along and like it just I don't know. It was very reminiscent of like my experience as a biracial girl in an all white town. So I thought I don't know. That was one of the things that that like captured me the most about it. I definitely want to rewatch. I mean, I, this is my first time for, through the first season. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good time. I think it's like one of the more well written shows on the CW right now. Like for I agree. Sure. It's like wholeheartedly just great character arcs and like I mean this is like the CW has a really low bar. So like I just feel like right. the fact that there's right. like consistent character arcs and they actually manage to like make some points about social issues without completely like, you know, tripping over themselves like the other shows tend to, I would say. Pretty mm. pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't know if they just, like, got it by accident or... I don't know, but either way, it was a good choice. <laughs> Whoever fought for it. All right, so let's get into it. So I thought first we would talk about kind of, like, how each character got into the going to their new school because both of them transferred. So, like, for Moesha, I think that, like, we were just talking about the dad's sexism. It seems like very much a product of its, like, time. I feel like that, like, dad joking about their, like, daughter and no one not wanting them to date anyone was such a thing in, like, the 90s. Like, all those, like, fucking sitcoms. I mean, I feel like, I feel like, like, white dads probably did it at the time, too. That was probably some just patriarchy that you know we all got to sample um, so they pulled the trigger on sending her to private school because she was found fully clothed in bed with a boy oh the scandal and i think it's interesting how she wasn't actually really doing anything they kissed like once maybe and then like fell to the bed it was so tame i was just i know i know <sighs> and i also think it's just it's interesting how like you know the the difference in gendered reasons is like punishment versus like this big opportunity for spencer and like they try to spin it like oh the school is so nice and you you know you're gonna be able to go to school with cultured people whatever the fuck they try to like spin it as but you know that it's a punishment right it's just weird that that's the impetus because moesha has always like been a good student and has always been like well informed so it was like they were gonna do it for any reason you would think it would be to improve her academic chances because she just showed so much potential but like it's literally for this you know yeah i mean they totally could have gotten away with just doing that Right. She just wanted to, that would have been a more interesting drama in terms of like the dynamic, because they like don't really address how, you know, distant Kim and Nisi get. Like, I would just imagine that being very difficult having to like go to a whole new school and like, you know, they like kind of have a little bit of friction at first, like in terms of like lightheartedness. But if they wanted to expand it, it would have been, I think, more 90s, if anything, to like see the challenges between the Crenshaw friends and the new school, you know? As opposed to like, here's some, just sprinkle some sexism to like create a new atmosphere for white people, you know? Right. I'm even thinking about the episode where Kim fights Teresa. 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we could have just seen more of that, like, I don't know, from him and, and Nisi interacting with Moesha's new quote-unquote friends or whoever she's hanging out with there. Yeah. I don't remember any any of their names because they were yeah, so relevant. Yeah, I had to write but... them down in the outline. <laughs> yeah, that leads perfectly into this article that me and Jeff found when we were like starting to get ready for this episode and it was just like, Moesha creators changed the setting in season 3 to attract white advertisers and I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense because this That's is... true. Yeah. Um, so this is an article oh, by Brenda okay. Alexander for Cheat Sheet and we'll like put the link in the show notes but basically I can, I can read some quotes and then we can discuss it. As it turns out, the switch was due to pressure from the network as they struggled to attract white advertising dollars. In a 1998 interview of the South Florida Sun Sentinel, creator and producer Sarah V. Finney and Vita Sears explained that executives at UPN were satisfied with the show's ratings, but not its advertising portfolio. So they came up with the idea to have Moesha transfer from an all-black and brown high school to a largely white private high school, where Moesha's plight now involves issues of class, family, and peer acceptance. The creators did so hesitantly, which is like, yeah. <laughs> and it showed through the lack of receptiveness from viewers. And so apparently the ratings remained consistent. The episode centered around her at Ridgewood, like, actually did not have a good response. And so, like, obviously by the middle of season four, she's back at Like, get the people what they want. That's what really happened. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. But also make sense. I, I just think it speaks to the relationship between black creators and white executives. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like clearly they know their show. You know, clearly they know who's watching their show. Like I think also like in terms of black upward mobility, like it was cool to be a TV writer back then, but like nowhere near like the fame or status that like a Issa Rae or Lena Waithe has now, you know? Right. And so like you were way more connected to the community, like on a local level. And so of course they knew their show. They probably were talking about it at barbecues. Like people were watching Moesha, you know? And so like for this new mandate to get passed down from people who like, you know, we're just taking a risk on Moesha. Meanwhile, it's totally serving the community that it needs to serve. Like, it's yeah. just, of course, we went back to it. <laughs> like, you know? Just, uh, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if they, like, almost, like, sabotaged season three, like, in order to make sure that they could go back to Crenshaw. <laughs> like, you know, that's the beauty of being a creative. Like, you have to, like, throw your shade in the most, like, creative way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, because I feel like the nameless white characters are, like, on purpose. Like, they didn't want you to get invested in any of these people. They gave them negative uh, depth. Like, negative depth. Like, no depth at all. The only one who had depth was the hilariously named Haley, which, like, shout out to our friend Haley. <laughs> Haley was the one who the one who befriended Moesha on the first day, right? And then, yep. like, goes to the party with her? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. But she's the only I one who had even a little bit. <laughs> Also, that speaks to another 90s archetype of, like, the white girl who has famous parents but wants to get away from it, so she tends to go to the black people. Like, of course that would be, but it's, like, such a thing of the 90s. Like, Shout out to my mom. <laughs> but I, yeah. I think we're really part of that age, you know, of, like, you know, the aggressive angst. Because it's, like, how, like, black people, like, randomly, like, paramore. I feel like that relationship of, like, us being drawn to, like, alternative grungy white kids. Even with, like, Daria. Like, I feel like you just saw it a lot in the 90s. So I feel like that really speaks to that. That's very interesting and true. Wow. Getting old. We're able to do this shit. We got enough time on our hands to make some <laughs> conclusions. <laughs> God. So yeah, so that's how that happened. And I think that we should keep that in mind as we're 
we're talking about Moesha. But then for Spencer, like, this is like the premise of the show, you know? So it's much better thought out, obviously. And in the first scene of the show, he's pretty much given the decision to transfer to Beverly Hills. The Tay Diggs character, the coach, is just like, I want you on my team. And you later find out he has ulterior motives of needing to keep his own job. And Spencer is like, considered a football prodigy i feel like in season one like everyone's like he's gonna be like amazing i think that the way that the show starts is just so like intentional like the fact that it's like them on the field and then like he gets the amazing triumphant moment where he like catches ball and then the shooting starts And so then they have that moment when he talks to Coach Baker and he's like, It's like one minute you're scoring and the next, another day in the neighborhood. That was like in all the commercials, I feel like, <laughs> for like the first season. And it's like the thesis of the show, I feel like. And it really is something that I feel like, you know, we're in like the, the second half of season three. And I feel like this is something that Spencer is still grappling with. And then he's torn about the offer to play and kind of like talks to Coop best friend and his family that it extensively and he doesn't want to leave because of all his daddy issues too um which i feel like continues to play a role Ugh. spencer's a little drama queen <laughs> isn't this though a drama queen they are i just yeah. thought so i think because since we've been doing comparison like i've been thinking of moesha and spencer in relation to each other a lot obviously and they're both right. just like such like like, you know, like the whole joke of people having main character syndrome, obviously they're main characters. Oh they're, my God. they're like the reason that that's even a phrase, but like they, they, yeah. they have it. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, Very much so. And they also kind of have like, um, <laughs> like martyr complexes. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I mean, that's definitely like, it's been really cool to see Spencer in therapy in season three kind of dealing with that yeah from the beginning i feel like spencer really sees his community as part of his identity crenshaw will always be a part of who i am but being a beverly eagle that's a part of who i'm becoming and his skills as an asset i feel like the the thing he's still grappling with in season three of like am i like betraying my community by taking myself and my skills with it out of the community is something right. that just continues to be what he's dealing with I don't know, we're living in the age of, like, the black billionaire being the norm. And so I think we see that, like, that issue has become more and more prevalent, especially as, you know, people who, like, in the Moesha time, they were new money, you know, but now we're seeing those new money people like Jay-Z and, like, all of them, like, have all of this, like, status, but, like, the community's not really feeling them, you know? And so I think, I don't know, it, it just looks a cool way to normalize that concept on a local level. And I think it also speaks to just, like, that kind of recurring, like, theme in life that somehow there's just never opportunity in the community. Like, why do you always have to leave? to go, you know, get right. resources or to succeed, like you should be able to do that in the community. And I don't know if they're, if they're both shows are even necessarily trying to, I mean, definitely All American is pretty heavy handedly trying to make that point by the second, <laughs> second season. I don't know if Moesha okay. was, but like, it's definitely, it's kind of like a theme that speaks to American life and especially being in the deep on the police era, thank God, of, <laughs> of this shit. Cause we need to get this shit going. Like, that's exactly what people are talking about now is how we need to get resources into the community and money and funds into the community. Okay, so the first thing we we're gonna watch, yeah, I thought we'd watch the side by side, like their first day of 
cool scene. You know, we're not in Crenshaw anymore. <laughs> like, both of them kind of have that moment. I don't know if we're going to be watching it, but there's that literally a moment, I think, when Spencer goes, welcome to Beverly Hills. And it's just so he funny does. with CW shows. Like, you know, they're mm -hmm. just, like, doing it for the soundbite. Yep, they need to end the back one break. <laughs> oh, my God. That, that fucking heavy-handed shit where she's, like, being taken away to prison is like like you know she's actually thinking in her mind I oh my know. god it's so dramatic <laughs> moesha struggles to get out of her car noticeably less fancy than what the other bridgewood kids drive wow this shot they really just like they really have people laughing at her as she struggles to get out of her <laughs> she said they said get your poor ass out of here <laughs> Hi, I'm right as always. I just knew he used only an initial. I mean, Moesha is Trey Ghetto. Oh, boy. In the moment of Afrocentric madness. I'm Mary Ellen. And I'm Moesha. I've made a little map for you. Now, you are here. Follow the red doors to class. The bathrooms are outlined in pink and the cash machines in green. Oh, that's my cell number in the upper corner in case you get lost. You do have a cell phone, don't you? She has a cell phone and like not a cell phone. See ya. <laughs> um here's a tip. Lose the braids. It's so south of Olympic, east of La Brea. <laughs> okay, here's a little tip for you. Lose the bad attitude because it's just south of trouble and east of you don't want any. Okay, yeah, for Haley. Oh, forget about it. I had a great time. Much better than the whack parties they throw around here. There you and go. The after party was really cool. You went to the after set? Absolutely. I was the only white girl. It was a fantasy come true. <laughs> oh, wow. I forgot how heavy handed that was. <laughs> I met my father, girl. Curfew. Don't you have one? The father or the curfew? Ooh. Nope. Plight of the rich we don't kid. Have we have credit cards, and we do whatever we want. Ooh. Good morning, class. Welcome back to Bridgewood. I'm Mr. Passmore, and I'm your homeroom teacher. Good morning, Mr. Passmore. Very good. Ew. Now, oh my God. I'm sure you're going to have a summer, but I don't want your vacations to Martha's Vineyard, Europe, or the Bahamas, since I wasn't wow. able to afford a bus trip to Downey. Yeah, wow, that's so now, real. Private school teachers do not make money because of the anti-union shit, you know? I have no idea how to pronounce your name. Why don't you stand up and introduce yourself? I'm Moesha Mitchell, and I don't want to be... <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes two of us. Okay, oh my god, she probably relates more to the teacher class-wise. I love the kids! ...from the class trip committee, Mary Ellen. Oh my god, she is too This much. year's trip is too petty! Oh, and your deposit of $1,000 is due by tomorrow. And please... It's literally the second day of school. No, <laughs> Where am I getting $1,000? Oh my is god. Is this girl for real? Parts of her are. <laughs> uh, hold it, hold it. One last announcement, which I know is going to disappoint you. No class until tomorrow morning due to a faculty meeting. So go on, get out of here. I love you. I mean it. That... It's literally it's like, like, what? What is, what is this school? <laughs> they crammed so much class into so what, like three minutes? I know. I know. But I also feel like that's kind of what happens when you are forced to be around people who are that different in class status from you like sometimes like the differences are so insane that it's just like everywhere around you <laughs> mm -hmm. 
You know what's so funny? So every time Moesha like is in a situation in which she's not alpha or I don't know, I, I flash back to her father trying to get her a car and her being like, no, thanks. I want to try to get a Jeep. Like, I don't know. I feel like she low-key always had it in her to be a little bougie and to like keep up with everybody. Like, obviously, she, she loves to complain that she hates it, but like, I don't know. She kind of does fit in, in my opinion. It's like a different but like she kind of yeah you're right in terms of like her hot take that's how i and and that's the difference between spencer is like i don't know and maybe it's because i i'm not watching this in the 90s and like i'm not looking at moesha's braids as you know what did she say trey ghetto like yeah (laughs) i'm looking at it like oh she looks great she looks like she's off to her first day of school and i don't know i don't necessarily think moesha is as much of a fish out of water as spencer is at she kind of fits she fits in in a way yeah i think that's what's interesting about moesha is that i feel like she is used to being the one who maybe is like more well off than her friends like because in mm-hmm. isn't it a, like like episode where she realizes that hakeem's mom is like laid off or something and like hakeem has like clearly has less money than they do so i feel like it's interesting because it's like kind of the person who isn't used to being the one who doesn't have money suddenly being around all of these like rich kids and so obviously comparatively a thousand dollars for a class trip excuse me like and in right, 1998 or nine or whatever this was like a lot of money i know it's a lot of money now <laughs> school like i just got here fucking wild um, so yeah i wanted to compare that to the all-american scene because like i feel like the whole first episode is like basically this scene um, but it's, mm-hmm. since it's a different format of show so i thought that we should watch the scene where he's kind of meeting all of the football guys for the right. first time and Asher like decides to be problematic as fuck which it's very interesting that Mary Ellen kind of like they still have a black girl be the one who's kind of problematic toward Moesha rather than having it be like a white kid like she's actually allied with Haley the white girl which is kind of an interesting dynamic yeah I feel like you know in terms of this um walk so dear white people could run type of thing in terms of showing like (laughs) you know there can be different experiences of blackness especially with upward mobility so yeah yeah and it also just seems like she's, like, threatened by Moesha. It's like, the I was... in the barrel mentality. They could, like, only be one of us, you yeah, know? Yeah, she's like, I was, I was chill being the token, like. Yeah. Yeah, which is really sad. Like, she's a very sad it's character. It's so sad. It's so, so sad. Now we look at Spencer's first time meeting the football crew on his first day at Beverly. Meet the crew. Oh my god, I forgot about Hadley. JJ and Asher. Oh, <laughs> she disappears. <Hey. laughs> I think you and Asher play the same position. Me too. So how are you liking Beverly so far? It's okay, I guess. I know it probably feels like lost footage of rich kids from Instagram, but it's not so bad where to give it a chance. I'm sure it'll grow on me. It's to lay it on me. Crips or bloods. <sighs> I'm dying to check out a Crip walk for real. I've only seen one on YouTube. Yo, yo, he's just joking, man. Ignore him. Asher, you would know a Crip walk is a bitch in the damn white ass. Nah, they sound like a joke to me, bro. Don't be so sensitive. Sensitive. Hey, yo, thanks for the welcome. What? I was making conversation. Oh my God. No, Shut the ass. fuck up, dude. You know what you were doing. Conflict from the moment he touches down. <laughs> can't even can't even sit with the kids without being accused of being a gang member. I want to say it's like contrived, but it's not. <laughs> like, I feel like real life white people do shit like that. 
Yeah. And Especially like, at that age. Look how Kevin went college. It was like, oh, I hadn't seen anyone in real life who was black. I was so good. I about him. Why people are predictable in terms of their racism. <laughs> yeah, and I also just think, like, it's kind of like all of the rest of them seem to, like, be like, whoa, I don't think he was supposed to say that. Maybe they don't all understand why he wasn't supposed to say that, but I feel like they all kind of are like, whoa. So it's kind of like, I feel like there's always at least that one asshole and then, like, a bunch of bystanders who aren't going to really say anything. <laughs> They're just kind of going to be yep. like, oh, no. And just kind of let you wallow in your racial discomfort as you have to sit there fending for yourself. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like there was actually, even though we went to school where there was obviously like black people and white people interacting our whole childhoods, I still feel like there was definitely some of that happening. (laughs) But interestingly enough, I don't know if you remember this, MDIP, I think it was like senior year and it was was someone's birthday, but like half of the group had gone to Target and something had happened in the parking lot. Like it was some sort of domestic violence or some crap. And it just came back like overly emotional but they weren't gonna do anything about it like they just like came back and like i can't believe i saw that that sounds vaguely familiar actually it was like it was senior year we were having a really good time and i think like but like everyone had different opinions in terms of like they knew it was wrong but they didn't know what they were supposed to do and like i think like someone wanted to call the cops but other people were like we can't call the cops on black people like it was just very and i was just sitting there like black as fuck like okay like I don't know. It was just like, it was sincere, but at the same time, it was like insincere. Cause I was like, we don't have to sit. I don't know. It's a weird place to be in. I think that, like, as a kid, like, you have black friends but then like bad things happen or like bad things happen to people who look like your black friends like you feel this obligation to like be enraged even though you don't know what to do with it you know mm-hmm. and I just remember at that point in our friendship like I was old enough to be like shut the fuck up <laughs> you know like I just like like if it did happen like and you didn't do anything about it just shut up because you know like to bring it back and to like do which I'm sure was innocent at the time but like to do this whole performative guilt I'm like what can any of us do with that you know and it's it's just very interesting that i don't know we were dealing with that as high schoolers but like i see grown people still do the same thing when it comes to like being a bystander and like mm-hmm. being torn between like should i do something or i don't know how to do anything so i'm gonna like perform as if this is like over you know overwhelming for me and i'm like it's not about you <laughs> you know so it's yeah. just just very very interesting definitely i mean also i feel like there's a little bit of like knowing what asher was doing in this scene because like it's brought up before he says it that they have the same mm-hmm. position and therefore in competition with each other and so it's like it's like oh you're in competition and so he chooses to then use his blackness against him so it's like exactly. you are mad shady sir Ugh, good riddance. very calculated but very subtle Yep. And I feel like it really shows how, like, Jordan does not have the same, which I think we'll talk about more, too, like, does not have the same relationship to his blackness as Spencer, especially before knowing Spencer, because he's kind of just, like, led, like, like, who knows how much of that kind of shit he's, like, heard and doesn't know Why were they comfortable saying that around you, nonetheless, a stranger? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That feels very, yeah, I, I don't know, Jordan and Olivia, which, interesting that's my name but their their experiences (laughs) like at the school are just very reminiscent of um even even them not speaking up or saying anything like there was a time growing up where i was the only person who looked like me yeah so and like speaking up wasn't really an option because it was just was provide like making even more of a like just 
even more difference between me and them. Yeah, okay, so I, I also pointed out, like, just a couple of other moments from the first episode that, that I wanted to mention. So, like, there's the moment when, like, all the kids open up their laptops at school, like, in one of the first classes, and, like, the, the teacher's kind of like, okay, open up your laptop to do whatever assignment, and, like, everyone around Spencer, like, opens one up, and he's like, oh, I don't have that. And Olivia ends up being the one who, like, shares it with him. And then one of the ones that was, like, so fucking funny to me is that like at the first dinner that he has at the baker's house like she asks if he has any food allergies for her famous gazpacho and then like you see the like brown woman who's clearly making the meal for them <laughs> and spencer kind of like makes eye contact with her and i'm just like oh my god he is not in crunch anymore like jesus christ yeah. like <laughs> oh, wow. and then there's also just the visual parallel within the first episode of, like, you see the Crenshaw game at the beginning, and then, like, once you see the Eagles play, and, like, they, like, you know, burst out of some, like, insane, like, banner thing or whatever the fuck, like, you know what I mean? From, <laughs> like, the ball mm -hmm. game. But it's just, like, so much more, like, fanfare, and it's just, like, oh, and it's, like, now for your Beverly Hill Eagles! And it's, like, whoa, okay, the production value has gone way up. I think they just do such a good job of, like, the vibe is so different, even on the football yeah. field. Yeah, no, I mean, even the way that celebration goes down, it's just a lot, I don't know, there's a lot of more festivities than, you know, where he's coming from, so just materialistic in the sense you know yeah like we have so, that we have this budget so this is what we use it for and like why we might as well just use it yeah and why would it ever be any different for you know these people so next thing i wanted to talk about is and i think this is really you know relevant to this your one. life Andre, is they both kind of experience some like academic racism weirdness with white teachers pointing it out like oh, you need to catch up because this isn't like your old school kind of situation. And it immediately reminded me of, of what you had to deal with from white teachers. I mean, yeah, even like me moving up a level in eighth grade, like that like was a year long process <laughs> just because like I had to like prove that I was able to keep up even though I was like totally acing all of my seventh grade classes but yeah just the system it was it was easier to move down than it was to move up wait so you you started a grade lower than you actually were no so the whole entire district has like a leveling system so like level four was like honors level three was like average intermediate and then level two was like basically special ed like you could basically for certain classes you could be an ap for one class but then be in like level three for certain things it just mm -hmm. depended on how you did but in seventh grade i was an intermediate and i was like acing it like i had had a rough start just because i came from the catholic school in fifth grade and realized how much like i was missing in terms of an education like i was so behind so it took me like about like two years to basically catch up to where everyone was in the district but once i did like i was good to go i was ready to like I was actually getting bored, but they like made it so incredibly difficult for me to move up. I wasn't able to move up until eighth grade because like I had to go and fend for myself. And then my parents had to like, they had to have uh, extended in-person conversation with my parents, like to, for me to understand like what the magnitude was of moving up. Oh and I'm God. like, but the material is right there. Like I'm doing well. Like I had teachers, like Mr. Cohen was like, you really should be in level four. Like you're acing this stuff. And, um, I don't know, it was just very, very hard. But, like, I remember, you know, on the flip side, senior year of high school, once I wanted to basically, I got into Emerson, I didn't care about math anymore. And the honors math was just too hard. And so I just, like, was able to move down to, like, regular level three math with 
within like a day <laughs> like yeah. it was very very hard to like move up but like if you wanted to move down especially as a white kid or if you like knew how to like talk to people you could move down just like that and like yeah. just be coasting just a coast you know yeah and i think it's also a class thing in a way too which i think where we grew up just tended to overlap with race most of the time um, yes. like where like if you have a stay-at-home parent that parent can be there that day like in the office I talk to parents really had to schedule yeah. the day off just to get like just to go fight with white people exactly. they literally had to schedule the day off just to like be given like another set of people that they had to meet or another list of criteria that needed to be met with like it like they found ways to waste our time and make sure that we could say like we didn't want to do it anymore like it was actually like a fight yep and a lot of people aren't going to do it so they succeed a lot of the time you know so it's like a single parent family homes like who literally just had one parent i was just lucky enough to have you know someone who could you know but like a lot of kids ended up just like not really realizing their full potential because they didn't have someone to fight for because you know fight for them because they did not take us serious in high school that's like i don't know i just remember that being the general emotion like everyone was very quick like your opinion means nothing (laughs) like we couldn't even go to the bathroom so you know i just i don't know it's just it, it was very very difficult in that yeah, and we actually come from a school district that's been, like, sued by the ACLU for our, our racial achievement gap. So that leveling system is not doing anyone any favors. They just resolved it. Did you hear about that? I figured it was going to happen. They've been debating whether they should dissolve it our entire lives. <laughs> and then, then a new group just brought another the same awesome. claim again. So. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I spent most of my class time with way more white people than anything else, which is ridiculous because, like, when you walk through the halls, like, in between classes, that's not what it's like. I mean, they used to always say you can tell what level it is by, the like, when you're in the hallway looking in the... Right in the room and who maybe racial makeup. Yeah, you could literally walk out of classroom and know which level it was. It was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's hope that the dissolving the levels might start to make any sort of difference. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting how this is clearly a universal enough experience that both shows chose to at least touch on it. I don't think either one really does like an extended plot line, but they definitely touch on it. So I figured we'd watch them. Excuse me, but there's been a mistake on my schedule. You don't have me down for AP history. Oh, Moesha, if you want advanced placement, you have to take the exam. Why? I was taking AP History at Crenshaw. Great, then continue to take it there. But there's no way you'll make it back here in time for your second period English class. Such a white teacher thing to say. Especially a white man. I swear he's funny. It won't take that long. Like, this is not funny. Well, although she said it won't take that long. Like, yes, girl, flex. Um, yeah. So, like, why shouldn't the fact that... The school you came from clearly certified you as AP, like, mean that you have to take another test. Like, fuck that shit. Literally the second I saw that, like, I'm pretty sure my note literally said, oh my god, this reminds me of what you went through, D. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. That's uh, what I'm saying. It's like generational trauma just passed down as tradition. It's fucked yeah. up. And, like, it's like people are representing their experience. So it's like, we're just going to keep on seeing this until this isn't people's experience it's anymore. It isn't relatable anymore. <laughs> yep. Okay, so yeah, so this is actually 13 episodes into season one. Spencer has a moment. I think it's actually kind of like this entire episode is centered around him having to rewrite this essay because it's like not up to Beverly Hills standards. A moment? Yeah, Yeah, I was grading the essay papers this morning, including yours, and you are aware that this assignment is worth 50% of your grade, right? Yes, sir. Why is it always 50% of the grade? Greatest influence in life is Neon Deion Sanders. Promptown. What? That's his nickname. Promptown. Neon isn't his nickname? He got a lot of nicknames. Is that your goal in life, Spencer? To have a lot of nicknames? 
I haven't given it much thought. Yeah, I kind of like this paper. Excuse me? What kind of question is that? <laughs> Football is getting in the way. And this isn't South Crenshaw High. Anymore. And there it is. You can't coast by here. Even if you are good at football. So what, you think I'm just some dumb player from the hood? What I think is that you should be thanking me for giving you an opportunity to rewrite this essay. And have it in by Friday morning or you're not playing in that playoff game. Yeah, okay, that was such all-American. <laughs> oh, man, I miss when we used to have theme songs. That's something that I love about Moesha. I guess to sing along to the I song agree. every time. It established branding. It was good. It was always good. Now there that... really aren't any more theme songs anymore, yeah. huh? No, we live in dark, dark times. Yeah, there's like, like, here's the logo, we Yeah. Yeah. these days. There's no, like, genuine fun to enjoy. <laughs> How much can you scare me, you know? Like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I literally saw a tweet going around, like, the other day that was, like, um, when shows went the modernity, like, route of, like, just going, like, you know. Very minimal. Very yeah, just... exactly. It's, like, minimalist, like, and it's, like, I'm like, can you give me some personality? Like, it's, like, how every show is, like, the this, the this. Yes. I'm, like, oh, my God, what is it now? That's <laughs> so, like, so just, true. They're going to run out to. It doesn't give you any insight to what the thing is about because they all sound the same after a while. <laughs> Man, it's, I miss when it was the beginning of Prestige TV when we were all, like, so excited and we didn't realize how inundated and awful it was and how like money everybody was gonna make you pay for streaming services i, I miss those days <laughs> so yeah i guess i don't know if we already kind of talked about this but i just i guess i just wanted to generally talk about you know both of them dealing with like the socioeconomic differences with their classmates and like also like teachers and parents and i just feel like they managed to like cram a lot in there and i also thought that it was interesting how both shows still make sure i mean and i think it's because we are talking about black showrunners but they still make sure that like their love interests are like black people you know even though there's like white people everywhere layla and olivia are like the only two people who spencer's really been romantically involved with besides his ex kia who is my favorite by the way i love kia so much and i feel like kia and moesha are actually very similar like, I feel like Kia oh. is, like, the Moesha of the 2010s. I can see that. I can see you that. Know, I can very much see that. Like have you also time. seen, not to, like, jump out of shows, but no, have you fine. seen Me and Georgia? Not yet. It's on my list, though. Oh, the, the, there's, like, the, the black girl. I know. Just, like, the black girl of that town is so Moesha because she literally judges the biracial girl, like, for being Britney Spears. And I'm like, everyone loves Britney Spears, but she's like, that's what you chose to be. Okay. I'll move it to the top of the list. I promise. Um, that's great. I think that they basically Moesha does that too. Like they have her date Jeremy, who is like when I realized that Usher was showing up, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, the audience clap took me out. I'm like, I miss that shit too. Not everyone just getting so upset over Usher being a regular regular guy. I don't know, man. Also, he has I not aged that much. Like, I mean, he was younger, but he hasn't aged that much. Like I was he like, exactly the same. Yeah. That's like some hatred movie we won't even touch. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> But like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I, I miss when celebrities were like approachable in that sense, you know? Like you yeah. could like still be a regular person and like, I don't know, be relatable. Like the other thing I love about Moesha is like the cameos, like little Kim, like, like all, all these things, you know, you know, people that like were these big stars, but they could still like pop up on your TV screen and be in your home and be like this little like 
black community, you know? That was just cool. I thought I missed that. Yeah. That also, in, in like, kind of a very different way. Do either of you watch Jesus and Marrow? Like, they don't only have black guests on, but I feel like they clearly try really hard to have, like, as many black guests on as they can. And I feel like people always just seem so much more laid back on their show than they do in other yeah. interviews because it's like they, they're around their people. And, like, I feel like the they're... Um, yeah, it's like the late oh, night the show. Oh, the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. yeah. So it's like... Uh, they call it, like, late night for the people. It's like their, like, little tagline. And I feel like that kind of is their vibe. And so it's just, yeah, it's just I feel like it's like a similar, similar thing. I love it. One thing that I thought was really interesting kind of speaks to the fact that this is really, like, you know, class and, and race are intersectional and it's definitely like a socioeconomic sort of situation is that the first time that Asher and Spencer finally like bond and like sort of become like, you know, I'd say they're probably more begrudging acquaintances than friends, but you know, like they're definitely like in the same teen drama friendship circle that, you know, all have to coexist or whatever is basically through class solidarity when Spencer's the one who figures out, like, oh, Asher clearly doesn't have any money, and he's, like, you know, fronting that he has this, like, big house where he can throw a party, and, like, this is his dad's Porsche, but, like, in reality, like, he doesn't have any money and hasn't for, like, a year or whatever. You always seem to be forgetting your wallet, and you let everybody else pay for this party. It ain't hard to spot somebody with no money, man. It's interesting how, like, the first time they finally break through with each other is when, like, Spencer's like, all right, I'll help you. Like, I know somebody who can fix this car, like. Look, I know you're in trouble, bro. Like, you don't know anything. I know somebody who can fix that. And, and brings him to basically like his like you know gang connection or whatever to like fix the car and it's both the like this is what people who don't have money do are more likely to do and like he gets that money it's just like the plot thing is that he got money from coach baker because like in that episode jordan noticed that he was having trouble paying and so then like coach baker like you know offered him like an allowance essentially and instead of using it on himself spencer ends up using it to help asher harder <laughs> complex yeah <laughs> um, you know who would fact, never do sorry, that what? though who but we would never do that for friends <laughs> 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 but we should I never do that she might do it for hakeem that's the only yeah, person i think maybe hakeem but that's it. Yeah, that's her right. She wouldn't ride. do it for Nisi or Kim. I, I do think she would do it for Hakeem, just because he, like, his brother by extension. That's true. That's true. Oh my the God. only one, though. Yeah. No, no Felicia's no. a bad friend to Kim and Nisi, for sure. She's such uh, a bad yeah. friend. Also, I really, really wish, I don't know if you guys remember this, but how in the earlier season, Kim has, like, this, like, gay best friend that she thinks she's actually in love with, but he's, like, so very clearly gay. <laughs> like, I really wish they had, like, brought him back more, because, like, I felt like that relationship was way more interesting than them just bullying Kim for being like quote unquote fat when she was just not fat. Oh my god, wait, what? Yeah, that's so dumb. Oh my god. We grew up in some dark times when it comes to that shit. Because like yeah. when I think about the fact that people like tried to not have big asses when we like us growing up, I'm just like, what? That is so why? Why did we ever do that? Why, why? Why? Well, very, very <laughs> I'm thankful to be thick in a time where it's yeah. cool to be as it always should have been and as it was in the beginning if you think about like you know that like the art from the earliest times was all about the curve yeah. anyone's yeah. ever taken an art history course that's where you start <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, i have something about kia here i i love how like he's on good terms with his ex like that whole dynamic is really nice but it's very refreshing to see yeah yeah when like he helped plan that rally to like take back the park from gangs in season one like who would have thought spencer james would turn youth activist I mean, how many rallies I try to get you to go to while we were dating? Uh, enough that you broke up with me because I never go? No, I broke up with you because you didn't understand how important my activism was to me. 
It was all about football. I mean, it's crazy how it took you moving to Beverly Hills to become the guy I always wanted you to be. Yeah, I guess. Come on. So, like, what changed? Who do I have to thank for this new Spencer James? No one. Like, I guess splitting my time between here and Beverly Hills gave me some perspective, that's all. So I think that that's a really interesting, like, point, that, like, he is the kind of person who wouldn't have necessarily been political if he had just stayed in Crenshaw. Yes. Yeah, I... It's interesting that... Because I feel like that was my experience going to college. Like, I don't think I repped Maplewood for being as diverse as it was until I got to Emerson and saw how white it was. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, sometimes you have to, like, in a weird way, be removed from your blackness to realize how black you are. <laughs> and, like, I don't know, you end up, like, I feel like I ended up valuing being a black person totally differently, or just, like, in a totally different way once I, like, needed to be around the culture to any proximity, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel every time I go home now as an adult. Mm, yeah. Um, coming back to to LA and like like even just going to the grocery store <laughs> right. is a whole different right. experience here than it is at home on the Cape. Mm -hmm. And seeing even seeing another black person or I mean any person of color at home is like oh my god I'm so excited to see you where did you come from? Did you come from? <laughs> oh god yeah and then you're kind of just like how did I live like this when I was growing up I'm sure like I. I have I I mean I I'm really happy that I don't I didn't know then what I know now right because right. obviously it would have made it a lot harder yeah like I didn't know I didn't know anything true and I, mean, I knew feelings but I didn't know there were words for feelings I feel like I, I talked about this in in the last one too like just being a grown-up and knowing that there are words for all the things you're thinking and feeling make them real and valid and therefore harder to deal with yeah when they're like, over again. Exactly. I knew we wouldn't go through a full episode. We haven't even gotten to the daddy issues part of his art. So I, mean, so I thought that we would talk next about, like, the, you know, as we sort of touched on at the beginning, the times that these characters try to navigate and even merge their friend groups and the conflicts that arise, and also the fact that neither one kind of like completely belong in either space like once they're like navigating between the two spaces i feel like they both have moments like that so i thought something that was really cool about both shows and that are the kind of thing that makes these make these shows so like atmospheric i guess is that they both have like sort of like home base spaces that are like black owned like basically both black owned cafes right like from what we're meant to understand obviously like andel is like more central to the show with the den in moesha i don't know who's supposed to own slawson cafe but i feel like you only ever see like black people behind the counter in all american at that place so it's pretty much assumed oh god i would hope so if it was on slawson exactly, i would just hope exactly exactly <laughs> I, I think that i'm just saying i think it's implied that it's like a black right. owned place and it's like both places like have like you know like Coop has performed at slawson cafe moesha performs her poem at the at the den like they're both kind of like these like coffee shops but also like communal like um, spaces. yeah like community spaces and i think that there might even be like have they might have had like protests at both of them right i think they have yeah no moisha it was like over some i think they were trying to like build new stuff in the neighborhood like yeah yeah i think ball. that's the last thing we're gonna talk about okay good awesome. yeah yeah because yeah. i felt like literally both spencer and moisha have their like standing up at town hall meetings and like being, i love it for them i also just feel like all american takes care to show like the black church 
watch the preacher that kind of like shows up again and again sometimes even at like the rallies for like the football team like talking about the gun violence like very much like i mean just atmospheric you guys want to talk about moesha's friendship with kaylee so she like meets her at the fundraiser in the first episode of the season actually and they bond over music which is like kind of funny because i feel like we were talking a lot about cultural capital in our last episode together and in this case it's almost like that's the time when like black music has started to become the mainstream you know like now it's been that yeah. way for like our whole lives but i feel like it was an, probably a newer thing in the I 90s the yeah. yeah and so it's kind of interesting how that's how they bond and she just like ends up just having so many of those like welcome to bridgewood moesha like she has a car like she starts i feel like like you were saying like having access to wealth i feel like she has a different reaction to that than spencer does like she's kind of like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could get with this. <laughs> yeah. And so then, I mean, I guess this is kind of like just like telling the story of what her like friendships end up being. Like, she ends up feuding with Mary Ellen over that whole newspaper thing, where like Mary Ellen is like, she kind of gave me Paris Geller and Gilmore Girls vibes of being like this like awful like editor in chief of the newspaper. Um, mm -hmm. And so then Moesha goes and starts her own newspaper, and then she becomes friends with the basically the people who defect to her newspaper. Which, okay, so these are the people that we couldn't remember the names of. Marco, Morgan, and Chris. Morgan oh my God. is that white girl who has a party. I think we're going to watch a scene from that. Yes. And, like, Chris is, like, nerdy. Marco is, like, the one, like, you know, Latino guy who Nisi ends up wanting to, like, make out with or whatever at the party. They tried it. They really, like, exactly. Like, you guys are like, who? <laughs> they tried it. And... So I just, oh, yeah, I don't even remember which episode this is from, but I have in my notes that Nisi and Kim were like, that's them, when they, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they met Morgan and Chris and Marco. I'm oh, so my good. God. And then at one point, they also all go to SeaWorld together, like, on this road trip, and they end up in Tijuana or something. Like, the white kids are sprinkled into that. Like, <laughs> too much. In the beginning of 311, there's like imagery where there's like an unreachable barrier between the Crenshaw friends and the um the Bridgewood friends, and I'm just like, that is so heavy-handed. It's so funny. I love the nature's melodrama. Yeah, I mean, thing is that it's it's real. I mean, like teenagers are melodramatic as fuck. So yeah, like. Yeah. The little fantasy things that they do, even if they're really melodramatic, I'm like, I could see her thinking that in her head, like you were saying with the, well, also, the prison thing. You know, it's, it probably did feel real for her in terms of, like, you know, the time period and, like, the drastic change, you know, like, I don't know, like, I just feel like cultures just operated so separately back then, you know, like, it, it, mm -hmm. you didn't listen to the same things, like, how, like, growing up, all of us were dancing to the, uh, that Soldier Boy dance, like, you know, like, all of us oh, were, yeah. they were playing that canteens, like, it was just way more, you know, blended growing up for us, so I can, I can, in terms of that time, I get it, I get it. Yeah. I think that Kim and Nisi at that white party is, like, the funniest thing ever. Um. Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of Sharon and Kenny at every Emerson party. Exactly! <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my god. And Hakeem is like you. <laughs> <laughs> but okay so i wanted to also talk about how when spencer starts to like go home to crenshaw i feel like once he goes to beverly when he needs a sense of like clarity or like he needs to like think something through but then like he just starts to find it less and less welcoming to him every time he goes back which is like kind of 
you know, I guess what you get when you choose to leave and go to Beverly in some ways, but yeah. it's hard. It's clearly really hard on him, and I think it really relates to the fact that clearly his community is such a, like, big part of his identity. Home, Crenshaw, it's always been what centers you. But also the community's rules of you're either in or out. <laughs> yep. Yep, and so a couple of quotes that I had written down were like, Head in the wrong direction, Rodeo Drive is the other way. Then there's the fact that Spencer kind of starts to sabotage his life in Beverly occasionally for the community. Like, he has that recurring problem. Like, when Sean is shot in season one. I forgot that how early that was. Spencer kind of, like, stands up a scrimmage and a reporter from the LA Tribune he was supposed to he was supposed to talk to a reporter because he's like doing really well and he ends up standing him up because he is gonna he's at, he's like off in the community doing something to try to stop Coop from doing something to avenge Sean so like and that's not even the only time at the end of season two when everything is happening with the school being shut down which we'll talk about even more when we get to the the two town hall meetings he ends up like kind of watching all of his friends like have this movement that they're basically starting to to you know keep the school from shutting down and he has to go back to beverly because he has an english presentation the next morning and so i feel like he just starts to like have these moments where he's completely pulled like he wants to be in both places at once yeah you know what's so weird is i feel like i've been feeling like that this week with the chauvin trial in a weird way like i i don't know just in terms of like the reality of what's happening with like black people but then just being like who am i outside of this trauma yeah <laughs> you know like mm -hmm. where do i have to like put my loyalty to like is it myself or the community because like I, I didn't want to watch any of it you know I like I, I i just didn't think that it was mm. i don't know whether it was going to turn out good or bad like i just like i don't think i needed to put myself in that situation to be set up to be let down or even if it was like going to be a bittersweet justice win like it, it's just like that experience is just still painful <laughs> you know like a, a person doesn't have their father still you know yeah. and so um I, I just think that's very real in terms of like and even being at emerson sometimes like you know i remember one time i came home for spring break junior year and it was like the height of all the protests and you know my mom just being my mom she just was like yo remember you're there to get an education too you know like you're we're paying a lot of money <laughs> for you to go and like you know master your craft like, i'm so happy that you found yourself but like you didn't go to college to save the world and this is gonna like this is this was happening when you were in high school and i was that's why i was afraid for you to have white friends and i tried to tell you then and you know i'm happy you've come to it now but like this is gonna keep on happening so like don't lose sight of like what you're there in boston to do you know so i don't know it's just yeah. it's a hard place to be this definitely sounds like conversations that Grace has with Spencer, where she's kind of like, like, she's the one who pulls him away and is like, Don't you have your final English presentation tomorrow? Yeah, but I need to be here. What you need to do is get going to Beverly Hills so you don't miss the last bus. And both are so important at the same time. Yeah. But like, one doesn't really consider the other at all. <laughs> so it's just all on you to like, you know, even us still having to be on Zoom calls with people who just like could care less, you know, yeah. it, it's just like, I don't know, this doubleness that you have to, like, fix yourself, you know? Just, again, another theme that's very prevalent, I think, and that American just pinpoints it in a smaller way, but, like, we all do that. It's, like, totally the condition of being a Black person to just have to deal with it all, and you're just up to the reconciliation task by yourself, you know? 
<laughs> I know, I'm over here like, God. Well, I mean, unfortunately, this is a topic we chose to talk about today. Yeah, this is uh, but like, again, there is joy, and I feel like we have joy ahead. Because well, the other thing I wanted to say is just that even though Spencer makes technically new black friends in in Beverly, you know, like he becomes like basically like brothers of Jordan, weighted with whiteness by his friends who was left behind in Crenshaw. So like he, you know, it just changes his his relationship to Crenshaw and to his friends in a weird way. One like moment in particular that stood out to me was Spencer is called out by Coop when he kind of like profiles the people who rob Layla's house and he's like Tyrone and his dudes robbed Layla's house. What? He said he was gonna come after me if I threw that party. This is him coming after me. How do you know it's Tyrone? The main suspect was a black dude, medium build with a red t-shirt on. That's it. It ain't rocket science, Coop. What else do I need? I don't know. Maybe an actual real description. Burglary is not Tyrone's thing. Especially not in Beverly they Hills. They hit up Layla's house, Coop. Damn, you been in Beverly Hills all of a minute and you already profiling your own people? Hey, I'm Crenshaw Ride or Die and you know that. It damn sure don't seem like it. Like, it doesn't seem like it, yeah. Proximity just changes your mentality, I guess, inevitably. Yeah, and then a funnier one in season three is that at one point, Coop like, laughs at Spencer's outfit choices. Yeah, what if I ain't the old Spencer James? Now that you mentioned it, the old Spencer would have never wore that jacket. I'm serious, Coop. Wait, what's wrong with my jacket? Nothing. Well, I ain't wearing it. <laughs> I got a roll. I'm meeting Layla. Do you think that that jacket is better than the last one? Man, Beverly Hills got you all messed up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel like it's just like it's a funny thing where it's like since after he goes to Beverly Hills, it's like everyone in Crenshaw treats him like he's been like marked by whiteness. Like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, he had. I don't get me wrong. Like he's been in a much bougier school. He also got laptops on the first day. Like that's crazy. Like even I could not imagine that in the high school we went to. Uh, right. Places got money. I um, mean, we didn't even have enough lockers in here. Yeah. Oh my god, I shared my locker with like three other girls. For it was my locker. Oh yeah. And like three or four of us ended up in it with you. Yes, it was Jocelyn, Rosalie, Megan. Yeah, it was about four of y'all in there. <laughs> when you think about it like there was not enough lockers so we literally ran out of lockers i was so done with that like, school like we were like haha so quirky but it's like no haha underfunding like <laughs> ha, ha, i'm ready to go like i'm ready to go <laughs> well we got out of there i have this like sort of in the same vein for moesha is when she talks about jeremy you know which of course she's enamored with jeremy because he is usher um, Jeremy. Who is he? Jeremy. You guys, he's the finest, smartest, most intense brother at Bridgewood. Shoot, he probably the only brother at Bridgewood. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, it just killed me. And I just have the same energy as like the one-liners that like are thrown at Spencer when he's back in Crenshaw. And yeah. um, <laughs> again, like it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of like real pain, but it's also just like like mad funny. I know, <laughs> I know. Creates a lot of funny moments for sure. And then the other thing you mentioned it, um, Liv, before that I wanted to talk about was Spencer kind of having a cultural exchange of blackness with Jordan and Olivia because they 
you know, were kept from getting to know their grandfather because of the bad relationship that his dad had with his father. Because of that, they, like, never went to Crenshaw, even though technically they have, like, you know, family in Crenshaw. And so they've just been in their white-ass world forever. And fourth episode, when they get pulled over by the cop, and Spencer realizes that Jordan never got the talk. And that is such an uncomfortable scene to watch, you know? Like, Jordan just, like, literally, like, doing something with the cop that I wouldn't do. Like, honestly. Like, the way he was acting. License and registration, please. Why? I wasn't speeding or anything. You made an illegal turn at a red light. License and registration. What? How far back? What turn? What are you doing, man? Just give him what he asked for. What are you boys doing in this neighborhood? Are you serious right now? We've done nothing wrong, man. Jordan, this is harassment. Okay, my mom is a lawyer. Step out of the car, please. What? I need you to stop resisting and get out of the car now. Can I believe this? Just wait till my mom gets a load of you, big man. I'm gonna call my mom. You do what I tell you to do. I don't give a damn who your mom is. Well, Beverly Hills is, is different enough for people to really not know how to act. Yeah. You know, is like that Beverly really? Hills... Do you guys think that that's like an accurate depiction of Beverly Hills being like LA? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I don't even think they do a good enough job making it feel as like distant as it feels from the rest of the city like you don't even have wi-fi up there because you either pay to have service or you just you shouldn't be there you know like you can't even get wi-fi up in the mountains like i remember driving lyft whenever i would get a beverly hill ride it would take way longer because i couldn't just like free ball it wow. <laughs> like you know like if you didn't have data like you really did not have data and so you just had to drive your way on out of the hills until you like reach somewhere familiar where you can get like actual service again wow so, that is yeah okay wow i didn't realize that when i was watching this is see this is a new perspective from the los angeles folks yeah, among us. <laughs> yeah no and so that's like such a culture shock for spencer where he comes home and he's like why you ain't never talked to jordan about dealing with the police like everybody that i know like parent has this talk with them like, i think he says like by the time i was eight my mom's made it clear cops like that they see my blackness as a weapon you know so you talk slow you, you do as they ask you keep your hands visible and you never run how come you ain't tell them that? I guess I thought I had time. I fought so hard to get up out the hood. I honestly thought that with all this, I honestly thought that I had bought Jordan just a little bit more time before he had to face the, the ugly side of being a black man in America. Like, I guess kind of you did, because I guess it took him till now for this to happen, but also, like, why are but you it playing... Can, um, you don't have time. Yeah. I, I just... Uh... Yeah, that, so that was a really interesting choice that they made, but um, it really just, I, I, I literally wrote here, I literally wrote, bitch, what, you naive as fuck, the class status will not protect you in face of a racist ass pig cop. I stand I'm by that. The <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> I'm so mad. Also interesting, because I feel like in terms of like the biracial narrative, it's usually like, oh, you have a white parent who's mm. not going to show you the black side of things, but it's actually the black parent who's gatekeeping his kids from knowing it. So I thought that was a very interesting choice how they subverted that. Yeah, it's like he thought that he looked like found a way to buy his kids out of having to deal with like being black. And it's like, that's no. You know what's so interesting though, in terms of like our parents being the generation to like think that that would work? I'm like, we were born only like you know a couple decades after mlk died like my mom was born in 1964 he got right. killed in 1968 like i just don't understand why that mentality was like 
palatable in any regards because of like it wasn't that long ago that you literally saw the woman ass i don't think they forgot that quickly <laughs> you know so i just it's weird that it's taken us growing up for there to be like a public acknowledgement that there's nothing we could fucking do you know like yeah. I- i'm just surprised I- you would think that that thought would be embraced closer to when the time that we were actually enslaved but like it's just very weird how money and access can really change people's mm-hmm. understanding of how they're viewed in the world like that is crazy to me yeah. So when I, this particular scene had me think back to this time where when I was dating Malik, so both of his parents are Boston cops and he got pulled over once and it was maybe two, three months after the Mike Brown verdict. And I was terrified. Yeah. Um, like my light skin ass was like, oh my God, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he, he was getting frustrated with me because I was losing my cool because we were nervous like he had been speeding it was late it was like three o'clock in the morning we were coming home from i think like six flags or something on our way back to the cape and um he said to me like my parents have taught me how to deal with situations like this please just stop talking and like we'll be fine and the cop was very copy he was an asshole thank god nothing escalated it wasn't and you guys remember how very calm he was not that that matters because we know it doesn't really matter how you act but it did make me think of like Malik's experience was kind of like Spencer's with having that talk whereas mine like my mother never had a talk with me about how the police would interact with me because she's white and everything that I had learned about interacting with the police I'd seen on television or like I'd seen in the news so it was interesting kind of triggering (laughs) that scene kind of being like oh yeah I dated somebody like Spencer who like had grown up with the knowledge of how they need to act around the police and then yeah I just also thought that it's interesting how like Spencer inspires like Olivia and Jordan to then like go seek out their grandfather and like start to sort of have a genuine connection to like Crenshaw but also side salad in terms of like how fickle that is Mm. I feel like if you saw this season how she like asked him to get in the passenger seat because she's driving oh oh yeah that that's I'm like, so all of, your, right there. all of your woke understanding just went out the window when your drunk ass was about to get in trouble. Yeah, you gonna put a um, black man to take the fall for it? Girl, what did you learn? What I did mean, you learn? To, thinking of, I just finished Euphoria, so maybe that's probably on the mind, but addiction's a hell of a disease. <laughs> <laughs> everyone like actually wears pajamas but it's like ooh scandalous for staying over <laughs> i've been to a party like that in my hometown so what really oh my god see me i just didn't do it i, I don't house, know house parties did. where everyone was wearing pajamas yeah why why uh, why are white people like this <laughs> <laughs> you said it not me <laughs> okay so this is you know this is that party and i just think that everything that happens is so fucking funny i don't know how else to preface this <laughs> Yeah, yes, but Leonard was my slave name. 
Not Skeezer. Oh, there he is. The one and only. Why does she laugh like that? <laughs> See, I feel like they only pull out, like, other black characters when they're, like, romantic rivals or something. Like, you know? I appreciate that. Yeah. I hope they have some dance music. I am ready to get my groove on. Girl, please. You know these Bridgewood kids can't dance. <laughs> well, you know, maybe they're transfer students. Hey, how's it going? Well, I don't know, Martin. I mean, by the time Jeremy notices that I'm here, it'll be time for the guys to go home. Go home? The guys aren't going anywhere. This is their summer party, too. Wait, the guys are staying? Yep. Okay, where did they it's find this actor? Why did they put her hair like that? Like, what? Yeah. Go, Nisi. Oh yeah, this is what I was thinking of. Check out the girl over there in the blue. Now she leaves nothing to the imagination. I wonder where I can buy that outfit. I feel like this is you at Emerson parties. Who is that girl in them funny looking pajamas? That's America. Oh my God, she is too what much. What is she doing? What? Stop the mosh pit there, sir. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Oh my God. Yeah, and this is that, that's like, that's Chris. See, that's Chris, who like is the most not memorable person yes. I can think of. I only remember him until now. So that's that one, and then I thought we would also watch a couple minutes of the first party at Beverly Hills that Spencer goes to, where they get him drunk. Do you try on all your knives like yeah. this? Oh, it's good. It's good, man. Hey, what up, bro? How you feel? Okay, yeah, we good. Okay, yeah. Rollick ass high schoolers. Like insane. Hey. Hey, what's up? What is Layla wearing? <laughs> yeah, well, home sweet home. You having fun at least? <laughs> Introduce yourself. Get to know people. Oh, you mean the bougie babies about the hills? <laughs> Selfie, shot, Snapchat, repeat. Hmm. I think I'll pass. You're being judgy. Oh, come on. He's not. Okay, well, <laughs> Adderall Diaries over there is the hill I'm gonna die on, but maybe not all of us are as basic as <laughs> Why are they cut to that poor young man? <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was not subtle. She supposed to have a boyfriend. Whoa, 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 where are you going? The night is young, okay? Dude, I gotta Plus, go, bro. Hey, the team managers, they're dying to meet you, man. Come on, don't leave. Come on, come on. Ew, what? <laughs> As requested. Oh no, we got practice tomorrow, Mon. It's Saturday practice. Just a few drills. No big deal. Trust me. Cheers. And I want to start on this story. Yeah. I said not just watching that. Time to buck up, Buttercup. Three jogs are watching. Who's that? Uh, Boosters. Here to see what you got. Yo, I thought it was just drill. Nah, man. Scrimmage day. Woo, woo. Let's go, man.
You can't ever play around like they do. <laughs> yeah, and he learns that always real quick. Different. Always different for you. Can't do what they do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want to have a dog. <laughs> I don't want to be fair. I'm just my dog. <laughs> just, it's really too much. Too many rules. Yeah, it's really sad how like Jordan like helped Asher essentially, because like the whole point is to make him look bad so that Asher can you know play the position, right? So like I don't know, I just feel like this whole like the beginning of the season really shows the class solidarity over race solidarity real well, you know, like um like sure. yeah. I feel like in Moesha though, it's never class over race unless I'm not remembering it correctly. I think that's a product of the time. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah. that's true. I, I think it was just. I don't know. It was just more authentic back then, you know, mm -hmm. because black people weren't rich like that yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the thing is that, like, you know, like, there definitely <laughs> were, like, wealthy black people in the town that we grew up in, too, you know? Yeah. And, but that was still, like, either, like, old southern money, but in terms of mm -hmm. that location, like, that's, it was pretty new money, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. Because we were growing up in the early 2000s, late 90s. So, I mean, that follows up the pattern that we even see through the shows. Yeah, yeah. Kim's making all those observations about all of the different, you know, the different people at the party, the private school kids. Reminded me of when Coop meets Olivia and she just, like, turns to Spencer and is like, and is like, they skinny, you was right. And he's like, told you. <laughs> <laughs> and they are really skinny there's like no thick girls in that show no it's literally a victoria's secret model like fun way i know yeah that's the bw <laughs> shit right there that's, that's, a yeah. that's a problem they have and then yeah i could make fun of the music at the homecoming dance which is like diplo or something like about the music to describe it which is like very much what plays at dances these days it seems like so uh. <laughs> but it reminded me so much of nisi and kim making fun of the music at the bridgewood party so yeah and that music wasn't even that bad it yeah. wasn't that bad no it wasn't. Wow, times have changed. White music has gotten worse, I guess. <laughs> Indeed. Wasn't there a joke about that? Like recently, somebody said like like white people need to start making like MGMT like I'm shit again. Like, especially with the Natasha Bedingfield song becoming popular on TikTok again. I'm like, yo, like we need this generation's Natasha Bedingfield. Like, where are they at? I feel like Natasha Bedingfield was holding it down for all of middle school. Like mm -hmm. she like oh, yeah. written every movie, every E. Pray Love movie commercial trailer. Yes. It was Natasha Bedingfield. Like I don't know Th those girls, Sarah Bareilles. Like they held. Oh. The fuck yeah. mm -hmm. If you were free on iTunes, you held it the fuck down. So true. Oh my god. Free on iTunes. What a concept. What a concept. I miss Curly. Yes, Curly. Walking on it. Well, I remember that Rosalie and Megan like discovered TikTok by fucking Kesha. Kesha also free, on free, iTunes, free on iTunes yeah. before it blew up. Oh, I love Kesha. I don't know. I, 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 do. I fucking love the year that we were born. I feel like we got to experience the coolest of everything. Like, it's just, I don't know. There, there are days, though, where I wish that we had been more immersed in the 90s. I feel like for the you know? culture, yeah, but for the views, no. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, that's true that's like true. i'm very happy that i can be proud and gay i'm very happy that i can like normalize what's now normalized for myself like i'm very happy to see other people like living out their truth like in ways that they would not have done that in the early 90s you know so in terms of like i gotta pick and choose because like 
culturally in terms of music and that type of stuff i think people were way more interesting and way more original but i don't know the right. politics of it all yeah. <laughs> so, rough, rough. Final, very rough the final big thing i wanted to talk about which will actually kind of work live because you haven't seen some of the stuff that we're gonna like talk about in the end so yeah that works uh, yeah. yeah so i feel like both moesha and spencer are kind of very similarly like the role model students they're like mouthpieces for their community and so that kind of all comes to a head for both of them when they both end up like speaking out at these separate town hall meetings and they both are about gentrification related issues so it's like very much the same thing that all of these communities have been dealing with for a long time i think in both cases it's not like necessarily like a white person it's like a, a kind of like a black capitalist kind of situation mm -hmm. where like like the black neoliberal you know kind of right. archetype wants to like you know revitalize the community wants to gentrify the community essentially because they see it as a good thing which is like exactly. Yikes. it also makes both of them like the perfect person obviously to be plucked kind of like out of the hood and into a new school but can I you think... imagine kim parker at <laughs> The that is the show I want to see. That is the show I want to see. Oh my god. I wanted to go back to Nisi and Kim reacting to Moesha, like, not being at school anymore when she first, when she first transfers. <laughs> and first kind of, of school. Oh my god. So yeah. shady. And kind of how, like, you know, she is, you know, again, like, she, she does all these things at school that when she's not there, she's actually, like, missed. I know. Hey. Hey. Give us the dirt. What's going on at Crenshaw? Well, most of it's about you. <laughs> Everybody's talking about how you sold out and crossed over to the other side. Mm -hmm. Too good for your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, they're calling you the Oscar de la Hoya of Lamert. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who's saying that? Her. That's <laughs> 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 just her way of saying that she misses you. And that Crenshaw's nothing without you. Yeah. See, Kim didn't realize how much she did. I mean, we don't have a class secretary, mm -hmm. a newspaper editor, or all-around goody two-shoes. We miss you, Mo. <laughs> mm -hmm. We need your voice. I mean, they talk about making a class trip to El Segundo. <laughs> but look, y'all, as long as Q is there, my dad is not gonna let me come back to Crenshaw. Um, a hundred dollars. A whole boy is stopping her from being at this, like, oh. Ridiculous. What's my daddy you trying to rub out? God, mama. <laughs> I was talking about Q. <laughs> we gotta do something, Mo. Tell your dad you're on a culture shock, that you can't cope with the pressures of being in a Eurocentric society, that you yearn for the nurturing atmosphere of the cultural, compatible Crenshaw High. <laughs> I love her. This church lady had. Yeah, oh my god. The, her outfits were just like amazing. I thought so. Yeah, but again, that's why I felt like Kia in All American is like the, the Moesha of Crenshaw now because I feel like she is like the one who's all like homecoming queen, like class president on the morning announcements, like, mm -hmm. um, but also like kind of like holding it down for like the culture as far as all of like that's what she always says, right? Like, I'm doing it for the culture with like her protest stuff. So she lives on <laughs> this type of uh, awesome teen girl. <laughs> Well, they say black women are the highest rates of people graduating from college, so that yeah. just speaks to that. Like the black girl superhero who just has to like make it through all, all the obstacles, you know, tribulations of American public education system. So then, um, when Sean is killed in season one, I feel like Spencer has like a really hard time figuring out how to be there 
for his community at the same time that he's there for his team. And so like kind of similar to when he ends up giving speech at the town hall meeting in season two and season one, he kind of gives his first impactful speech of the show at like that award ceremony where he like has to go and he can't be with his community to like mourn the gang violence. And so instead he like talks about the gang violence like in his speech, accepting the award basically, and like dedicates his season to the people who are in his neighborhood who have been like basically, you know, slain by gang violence. And so, yeah, the thing I wanted to talk about then is that, like, basically he ends up playing that championship game, like, right in the aftermath of that, all the gang violence that has happened and Sean getting shot. And he has a scene that I want to watch in All-American with Layla, where they kind of, like, have it out about how, like, Spencer is torn between, like, wanting to win the game and knowing that him winning the game is going to, like, take away a big moment that could be for his community if Crenshaw won the championship. Am I seriously, seriously getting in trouble for apologizing right now? No, Spencer, I just want you to stop trying to absorb all the world's problems as your own. No one can survive under that weight. That's not what I'm doing. You do it all the time. Look at the Beverly Crenshaw game. You're tying yourself in a knot for one game, and I understand it's important, but the fate of the world doesn't rest you on You don't understand, Layla. You don't get it. How could you? Winning a state championship may be just a game to folks in Beverly Hills. Y'all don't win. You just come back to your successful families and your multi-million dollar homes, right? But back in Crenshaw, every victory is hard won. So yeah, the state championship is more than a trophy to us. It reminds us that good things can happen even when the cards ain't for us. I just pride, respect, hope. And when I win with the Eagles, which is exactly what I'm gonna do, I take all that away from my people. And I'm not from Crenshaw, so how could I possibly understand? Layla, that's not what I- You know what? Maybe you're better off talking to someone whose perfect multi-million dollar life doesn't invalidate everything they say. Sorry, I I didn't mean it like- No, you did mean it like that. So, so much for our differences being what makes us special. Oh yeah, that whole thing. (laughs) Girl, They do not work. We know they don't work by now. Oh, sorry. Spoiler. Yeah, but I think that sums up a lot about his season one and even his season two arc. Like, wow. <laughs> his success always comes at the expense of the people that he cares the most about. Literally his whole entire race. Like, it's... Yeah, and he, he like, carries that burden. Like, again, the martyr complex. He definitely, like, carries himself as if he really is, like, doing everything he does, like, you know, for Crenshaw, for, like, even, like, black people as well. Come on, yeah, he puts all of that on his back. Yeah, too much weight. He's, a, he's supposed to be a high schooler. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I think something else that's really interesting talking about the gentrification aspect um, is that, like, you know, the community kind of, like, starts to change as he's in Beverly um, without him noticing. Like, there's that moment in the second season where they're, like, they're hanging out in the neighborhood. All right, last ticket sold. It's official. Your girl's performing tonight. Hey, <laughs> there you go. Congrats. Hey, we got to celebrate. Let's hit Smitty's. I'm buying Bro, Smitty's been closed a long time ago. They changed it to some spot called Bunch of Froyo. Gentrification's hitting us like that now? You know if you've been here. The sign of gentrification. He's like, oh shit, we're gentrifying like that now? You know, Dylan's kind of like being a, l- a little boy who misses his brother and it's like, yeah, you didn't notice, like, because you're right. never here. Like, um, it's an understandable frustration. Like, it, it, it really yeah. tears him apart. Yeah. yeah, but that's just like even being away from our hometown, like when you start to like not have that physical connection, like things like a place that you expected to always be there closing, then being replaced is like, you know, that's jarring. Oh, the corner store that we went to that's now a coffee shop, like, you know, my sister talks about how what used to be like the hood corner is literally white 
Jewish hipsters going to get oh, coffee. Oh god. Now. Oh, that's the, the title nail in the coffin right there. <laughs> Just never anticipated that happening so quickly. Yep. And that's, and I think that's exactly the reaction he has. He's just like, wait, it could, how could it be happening so fast that, like, in the time that I spend just across the city, you know, like, I didn't notice. Which obviously sets up a lot of what ends up happening, but also it's really relevant to what happens to Moesha with her organizing this town hall, um, basically... Yeah, I don't know if it was... It wasn't the Dan. It, it was, it was I that forget. other. It was, like, another music venue where, like, you know, mostly young black teens are hanging out, like... Exactly. And because of the type of music that was being played, they didn't really, like, see the value of it. Right. And, yeah, I think that's also, like, again, a product of the time where it's, like, the rap music, like, being, like, this, like, evil force <laughs> is still a thing where, like, I'm definitely, I'm sure yeah. there are racist-ass white people who still feel that way now, but it's not, like, a cultural force to feel that way. Like, rap has become right. the mainstream, like, you know, art form, you know, if you don't like it, that's, the culture has passed you by now. <laughs> exactly. All right, Liv, signing off now. All right, bye. Um, you, thanks girl. for having me. Love you guys. Enjoy Happy talking about soon. Yeah. Doing food. All right. I don't know, Marlon. We never <laughs> hire security guards for the street fair before. Yeah, See, there you go. That's when you know. Society. Look, Andel, this is not just a street fair. It's an opportunity to bring in a whole different kind of customer. See, that's why we got to approach this thing with some vision. Uh, yeah, exactly. How much do you envision this costing me? I'll give you all the details joke. at the committee meeting on Wednesday night. Yeah, so that's the setup. <laughs> Look here, I need you to sign this here petition for me. Are you still trying to get that sidewalk widened? No, I'm trying to get that nuisance down the street shut down. You know them crazy kids almost caused a riot last night? Now the cops almost caused a riot. True blanket to statement. At least give it some thought, Andel. Tired of calling the police on that place. What? You called the police. You know I spent last night in jail because of you. Yes, I read the papers. You must be terribly embarrassed. See, now if you had come to that committee meeting, none of this would have ever happened. No, none of this would have ever happened if you hadn't called the police. Why'd you have to go there first? Why you just hey. come by the bar base sweater? No, I think you need to cool down. I, we'll no, talk this later. This is my place. Again, like, seriously, like, the black liberal versus, like, the black radicals, I guess. I don't know. Like, it definitely has that vibe. Like, especially Andel being like, yeah, I got arrested. Like, fuck you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Literally the, by the person who she's talking to in her face. I don't know. Yeah. All types of messed up. All types of messed up. Yeah. Bad on Beyonce's stepdaddy. Everybody, and thank you for coming. I'd like to introduce our moderator for the day. Lamert's very own Moesha Mitchell. Yeah. Like, of course Moesha's the fucking moderator for this. Man. Look at how many people uh, are here. Uh, folks, it's Moesha, folks, this, though. This is ridiculous. She's she's a child. She doesn't know what she's doing. Excuse me. Uh, no, no, no. She, wait, 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 wait. Just a minute. She doesn't know what she's doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what's all good? <laughs> oh, my God. She's such a baby girl. I can't stand her. I know. Even if we disagree, we are still neighbors. So let's respect each other, okay? Well, please. Okay. Would you like to start off the discussion, Senator? <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 I don't see why they want to close down the Bombay anyway. You know, uh, it, ain't, it ain't like we bother nobody. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Those kids ordering out in front of my restaurant sure has hurt my business. You want to talk about that? Oh, man, what are you huh? talking about? Ew. Loitering? 
shut down a Bombay, you're gonna see more than laundry. Yeah, that's right, baby. Oh my god. He was so much. So New York. Just intense. Excuse me, everybody. But whatever happened to respect? Right. Oh my god. He really Not is. Oh, for moderation. Tell us why you think the Bombay should not be closed. This is really so 90s. Because they closed down a Bombay where all the homies gonna kick it at. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the real question. The community can seek fellowship and express themselves in a creative and trouble-free environment. Yeah, sure, you all that, all that. Oh, yeah. Now, what kind of music do you kids listen to? There we go. I hope it's not that rap crap. What? <laughs> Interject. Oh, oh God! It's a known fact in law enforcement circles that rap music leads to alienation, rejection of authority, right. and antisocial behavior. Oh. Right? Even yeah. That's right. So, so you trying to tell me that rap music made you slap them cuffs on me? If I interject, uh, rap music is not on trial here. That's right. You tell them. <laughs> Oh my god, that guy is so annoying. What I think what Kimberly is saying is, is that young people should have choices. Mm -hmm. That's right, because sometimes I want to pick up a book, See? and then there's sometimes I want to pick up a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this. <clears throat> Mr. James, did we have a comment? Oh, <laughs> Is it my turn? <laughs> Hi, I'm Marlon James. I own the uh, Rendezvous Restaurant, the only three-star restaurant serving the Lamert Park area since 1995. Oh my God. To my Latino friends, I say, se habla espanol. Oh so anyway, the Lamert Park area is strategically positioned to capitalize off of the revitalization of the greater Los Angeles area. Oh my God, not revitalization. That's when you know things are All I'm saying is that our shopping area can be every bit as popular as the Third Street Promenade, excuse me, and the Universal City Walk. Oh my God, I took out a just chart. A he just had that with him. In five years, 43rd and Degnan can look just like this. Now, for our investment to mature, we cannot have a whole... <laughs> yeah, the old lady walking up with the glasses. I love it. Wait, how come the only white people on this? The gas. People, this it's 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 only a picture. Uh huh, and worth a thousand words. Woo! Go off. Wait, wait, just a second. This drawing is not the issue here. I mean, we're we're talking about well, it a wall place with absolutely. It really, it really is. Absentee, nothing. I've lived in Lamert Park all my life. I can walk to my business from my home. Where do you live? Ooh. Well, if you must know, I grew up in this community. And where do you live now? Now. Beverly Hills. I do not. I live in Beverly Hills adjacent. Oh, oh we're yeah. back in Beverly too. So many connections. My residence <laughs> is not the issue here. Please pass the bar. Oh my God. <laughs> is not the issue here.
Thank you very much. I can speak for myself. I don't think I was speaking for you. Ooh. I'm speaking for our children, and you, Mr. James, like so many others, are far too quick to label them gangbangers and public nuisances, and too slow to offer them safe places where they can just be themselves. Really going off like an educator who's fiends for shit. I know. Programs are almost non-existent. The rec centers have closed down, and nobody seems to care. Bombay is not an after-school program. Hey, that's right. You tell them, Granny. It's just a hangout for thugs. Thugs. Oh, now wait just a minute. My daughter and her friends are not thugs, Mr. James. Now you get that straight. A little much, and this is what gets now, him to say something. Now, before we calling and all of that, what I suggested oh, we that do was gonna be so is throw our hands together him. in a way in. that saves the Bombay, that allows also for Mr. James to keep his business open. No, no middle ground. Slick, will you please shake hands with Rambo over here so we can all go home? <laughs> But it's definitely like so emblematic of both of their main character syndromes that like they are both at the center of these conflicts, you know, like completely at the center. Like I guess. Also interesting to see um, the generational difference between like the older black folks in the '90s. Mm. You know, like I feel like it's a little bit more polarizing now in a weird way. Like, I feel like, I don't know, like, Moesha, and even the choice to have them come back and her just be able to assimilate right back into what she was before, like, I guess just speaks to that simplicity. I don't, I, which is weird, which is very weird, because at least the way that All-American puts it, wealth just adds a whole other nuance and, you know, layer to it. Okay, we'll watch Spencer's speech, then we can just compare them. Okay. I guess we should preface this for the listeners. <laughs> this is, uh, the school is going to be converted into a magnet school. Like, why does the school board suddenly think a magnet school is the answer to all of Crenshaw's problems? I mean, what happened? Superintendent Carter happened. Family's working on a rehaul of the school district. Thanks converting the school is the key to bringing new money into Crenshaw. We gotta change Carter's mind. Or at least the other voting members of the board. Well, how? By drawing attention to the conversion. I mean, there's pressure in numbers, right? What about a walkout? Or a sit-in. Okay, I heard the superintendent was planning a visit after school tomorrow with some board members. He wants to show them his big plan. Hey, that's lit. We're gonna go with Rosa Parks on these fools. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's interesting because this is kind of the 2010s version, a 2010s version of the kind of thing that happens when your area is going to gentrify, is the charter yep. school uh, bullshit coming in. They're trying to impose this transformation on our school without consulting parents, teachers, any of us. Teachers are going to have to reapply for jobs, just like we're going to have to reapply just for a chance to attend through a lottery. And ain't no way we're standing for this, right? Yeah. Thank you. Eating up public funds and stuff. If you don't quiet down, you will be removed. Quiet. <clears throat> May I speak, Ms. Sanchez? Spencer James isn't a student at this school. My mom's reminded me today that if we keep taking resources out of the neighborhood, if we keep diluting the legacies and memories created by this neighborhood, there gonna be no hood left standing. And look, I'm guilty of it too. I took a resource away from my neighborhood. And like Superintendent Carter, I thought I was doing it for all the right reasons, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Reinvesting in our community, reinvesting in us, in all of us, is the right choice. That's why I'm bringing back the resource I took away. What resource are you referring to? Me. In my murder complex. I'm the 
I'm the home three stars. Players in the country. Back on top of every recruiter's list, D1 schools will travel to see me play. That kind of national attention will attract even more resources and talent, not just if only school, it did. If only. In the neighborhood, without pushing the locals out. I'll be re-enrolling as a student at South Crenshaw High. I love everyone's like, <gasps> Then the fact that in season three, in the homecoming speech, he kind of like completes that arc uh -huh. with him being like. This whole time I thought I needed to be the resource. But truthfully, we are the resource, man. And if we want all of us South Crenshaw Chargers to prosper, it's gonna take everybody, everybody. This ain't about one of us. It's about all of us. Like that really is like the right take and one that I feel like I just generally apply to like any movement work. Where like, you know, all of us have our own skill set and our own like way that we can like. And everyone should pull from that for the uplift. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still tutoring? Yeah. Yeah, you should slide through. I will. But now as no student, you got yourself another tutor. Yeah, science whiz. For real? 3-4 GPA. Uh-oh. I mean, it's like you said, we all the resource, right? Yes, we are. Appreciate you. Yeah, and so I think it is definitely growth for Spencer that he finally <laughs> he realized, like, I mean, I don't think that he's there yet as far as the journey of actually, like, not taking on the burden of everyone else's stuff. But that even just being able to say, like, oh, like, it's not just me who's going to save the community. Like, I don't have to take yeah, on that. No, I, have to, I have to be with the community. I have to immerse myself. I have to know what's happening, you know, I, I think. Which is honestly so admirable for a protagonist because how many times have we seen that athlete story play out the complete opposite where it's like, oh, I can't relate to them anymore. Or like, you know, the little Wayne narrative of like, my black life matters. Like, I don't care about anyone else's type of thing. Right. But I'm like, okay, you know, so it's, it's, it is really wholesome to see him, you know, find a way to return to where he starts because I think that type of commentary, like, right now and this moment is what people really need to hear, you know, in terms of, like, success can't always be measured by your ability to succeed as in white spaces, you know, if it's not serving the people that you're supposed to be, I don't know, doing it all for. What's the point? Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's a pretty good place for us to end, honestly. Because, I mean, yeah, All American is doing a pretty good job of speaking to the present right now. And so, I mean, hopefully it'll continue to do that. And by the time that this uh, podcast airs, we'll know wherever they ended up. And even, like, doing the, like, Black Lives Matter mural, like, in the hallway at Beverly specifically. I'm like, that's exactly the type of shit a school like that would do in reaction to this moment, you know? And, but it's, it's really great to see that, Spen they, that Spencer, I, I mean, I just think that him completing his journey back home at Crenshaw was the right it's so important like that is such a huge statement like yeah. in terms of like I don't know like you wouldn't think that you know once he left in terms of like even the budgeting I mean I think they probably wrote it with that in mind the whole entire time just the way that we get to learn both characters from both sides of the world right. but you know, I, I'm just happy that they were able to make that type of a critique because it could have gone so many other ways. Definitely. And then, you know, bringing it back to Moesha, like, both of them ended up, you know, sort of 
spending their time in, you know, in a whiter, more privileged space and getting perspective from that, but then returning back to the community where they belong. And then use that new awareness to, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's a really beautiful message because I don't think we see it a lot nowadays. Yeah, and I'm glad that the Moesha co-runners were able to, like, convince those white executives to let them go back to Can the... imagine, like, how much, like, uh, <laughs> I know, from you, from the, like, aspiring showrunner perspective must be and you're gonna tell me how to do my show on its third season yeah well i think they showed them so (laughs) clearly well thank you for being on yet another episode you'll be back soon moesha and all americans highly recommend yeah highly recommend that all of y'all listeners stream both of these series for some good times and some emotional shit too. Before Netflix removes Moesha. <laughs> yeah, I got it. I'm sure. I don't know. Yeah, it's, you it, never know. It's had, quite a, it's had quite a run, but you never know. They'll just snatch off the thing that most people are watching just to do that. Yep. So, so true. Bye, everyone. Yeah, bye. Thanks for listening to Leftist Teen Drama. Follow us on social media for updates. Links to our Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok are in the show notes, along with links to suggested additional reading on the topics discussed. Solidarity forever, free Palestine, and abolish the PIC. Signing off, Maria. Maria.